The Emergency Medical Minute proudly presents Dr. Dylan Lloyden, director of the Swedish Medical Center Emergency Room, who will explain the physiological mechanisms behind why the wilderness is a proven form of medicine. This is Untamed. Medicine in wilderness, wilderness as medicine. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. I think I'm in control, but maybe not here with my clicker. So my name is Dylan Lloyden. I'm an emergency physician. I work at Swedish Medical Center in Englewood, which is a level one trauma center. And I think by any definition, I have a pretty stressful job. I'm the medical director there and, and uh, work basically full-time clinically. At the same time, I think I'm one of the least stressed, kind of least burnt out physicians I know. And, you know, I attribute a lot of that to my complete dedication and effort to spend as much time in the outdoors as I possibly can. And I would say that for me, really, the wilderness is my preventative medicine. And what I'm going to talk to you today about is something kind of that's near and dear to me, kind of a passion of mine. Just a quick show of hands. I'm curious. How many people are physicians in the room? Oh, great. And how many nurses? APPs, EMS providers, just helps me kind of get a sense of uh, how much bullshit I can get away with. I just uh, <laughs> wanted to get kind of a baseline of my, my, my audience here. So, um, and then last show of hands, how many people are on Strava? Okay, we share some common addiction. If you're not there, don't don't go there. It's a, it's a total mess. So if you're familiar with Strava, then this slide is totally jarring to you. I think there's not a lot that is as opposite in intent from Strava and what I'm going to begin by speaking about, which is Japanese forest bathing. But there is a reason for this. Oddly, this talk had really its inception in a Strava posting, and I threw up this Strava posting there just to kind of kick myself off. But I had come back from a wonderful mountain bike ride, and I was in that great state of calm and attentive and relaxed and energized that we get when we've really spent some quality time in the wilderness. And I think I had just read like a Time Magazine article or something like that about forest bathing. And so it was just peripherally on my mind, and without a lot of thought, I put this Strava posting up and I called it Forest Bathing Series Number 3. And the way Strava works is it's this social media platform. And then a lot of colleagues and friends sort of started asking me questions about it. And Don and I have had this kind of long-standing running conversation about resiliency and burnout in medicine and healthcare. And we got to talking about this. I brought it up and uh, that I was kind of curious about this thing. And Don said, hey, you should speak about this. So that's kind of the background of it. What I want to do today is, as a physician and as a kind of passionate wilderness enthusiast, is take us through a little bit of the biology of forest bathing and biology and what we know about the interaction between wilderness and our bodies. So we'll kind of jump right in. So Shinrin-yoku is the Japanese name for forest bathing. Shinrin means forest, yoku means bath. And really, few things could be as diametrically opposed, I think, as mountain biking and forest bathing. So really, this is much closer to meditation than it is to exercise. And so somebody who was forest bathing would possibly be by themselves or more likely in actually in a group. 
and they would be very deliberately, very slowly moving through some natural space, like a forest. But it could be a beach, it could be really any kind of outdoor landscape. And that person would be, as I said, moving very slowly, deliberately, interacting with their environment using all of their senses. So this notion of sort of bathing in the atmosphere of the forest through smell, through touch, through sight, through sound, and all of these things. The um, forest bathing movement, if you will, sort of started in the 80s, although probably this idea of nature as therapy is far older than that. Interestingly, there's a vast body of medical literature that's come out of mostly South Asia and China that has looked at kind of the biology of this. There's a lot of curiosity. The practitioners of this make very powerful, passionate claims kind of about the health benefits. And I wanted to kind of dive into that just a little bit. Human physiologic response to wilderness is actually very well documented, and I think it would come as no surprise to any of us that being in the wilderness is healthy, but it's interesting to look under the hood a little bit and look at what we actually know about why it's healthy and kind of the mechanisms that we gain benefit from it. So I just posted a couple of these very interesting studies where they'll take a bunch of office workers in Japan, for example, say 30 office workers, and they'll take 15 of them and they'll send them out into a kind of structured forest bath, if you will, where they wander around and do this forest bathing thing. And then they'll measure kind of various physiologic parameters like their heart rate and heart rate variability, their blood pressure. They'll look at their kind of self-reported mood scores. And then they'll put another group of similar office workers through a sham forest bath in an urban environment, but doing kind of the same pacing, the same times, or the same parameters. And they flip these people over and have them act as their own controls. And they've been able to document predictable patterns in response that would be sort of what you would expect. So this is a plot that looks at the body of research that has evaluated the effect on blood pressure control in people with forest bathing exposure. And it's interesting, this is a meta-analysis of about 15, 16 studies, and essentially all of them show this favorable impact on blood pressure control with wilderness exposure. And then this is really interesting. So this is a picture of two natural killer cells that are pouncing on some kind of antigen invader cell there. And there's a striking body of research uh, that looks at the impact of wilderness exposure and forest bathing on natural killer cell activity. And the reason people focus on natural killer cells is that these are the arm, if you will, of our immune system that's focused on cancer fighting. So our body's ability to recognize malignant cells in our body and then attack them and eliminate them, this is orchestrated through natural killer cell activity. Crazy studies. So the same thing, they'll take this cohort of people and they'll put them out in the woods and they'll measure through blood work the sort of natural killer cell levels and activity and sort of markers of natural killer cell regulation and then do the same thing with sham, like urban environments and compare them. And they see these kind of persistent pattern of increases in the efficacy and activity of natural killer cells. Now, Clearly, there's a huge leap between looking at these kind of surrogate markers of immune health and actually demonstrating that 
forest bathing, for example, has any actual impact on outcomes in cancer. That is really unknown. And it's important to kind of understand sort of the limitations of these kinds of studies. But this really is the first step. This is how a body of medical uh, literature is built with this kind of study first. So again, this is well documented through many studies, its impact on people's blood pressure, well documented through many studies, its impact on mood states, and then well documented its impact on at least markers of immune response to cancer. These studies suggest that there may be some benefit, but this is far from being robust enough evidence that we could, for example, put together a clinical guideline or something like that that would direct us towards forest bathing. But I think where this large body of research, primarily again in China, is going with this is they really envision a world where in the future we as physicians might prescribe wilderness exposure for treatment of blood pressure or as part of a regimen for you know, cancer treatment or something like that or a management of mood disorder like depression. That we might prescribe this the way that we're currently prescribing a blood pressure medication or a blood thinner or something along those lines. So I want to take a step back for a second and get a little meta, if you will, or a little philosophical. So there's this huge body of research that's being built, and it's interesting what fascination there is behind documenting this, you know, effectively in terms of Western medical research. But it's not really totally abstract, because understanding why wilderness or outdoor exposure is beneficial to human health has profound implications for, for example, environmental policy, for architecture, for urban planning and design, for policy around access to the wilderness. Actually understanding what the underpinnings of this are is, is very, very important. And I put some of the kind of current theories that are out there about what mechanistic underpinning of, of this health benefit is. And I would say in general, it falls into this notion that therapeutic environments are environments that are reducing humans' emotional or physiologic stress. And that humans in a wilderness environment experience a complicated biological, physiological response to that, that in turn kind of reduces stress and sort of promotes health. But there's also interest in the possibility that there may be some intrinsic factors involved in wilderness exposure. For example, there's a body of research in these chemicals called phytoncides, which are present in high concentrations underneath the canopy of broadleaf forests. And there's some basic bench science research that these phytoncides may have a profound impact on regulating natural killer cell activity. So there is more to this potentially than just kind of the, the sort of emotional or, or psychological impact of being in the woods. Clearly something about being outside and being in relatively uncrowded environment is beneficial. The privacy aspects, the avoidance of crowding would predictably decrease people's stress. But I think there's more to it than just the crowding. This is clearly a big area of interest within Japan and Korea where approximately 75% of the population lives in an urban environment. And it's probably no surprise that these are places where a lot of this interest kind of arises. Famous painting by Hopper, the Nighthawk, that portrays people's kind of isolation while being in an uncrowded, alone environment. Very different from what people experience in a similarly uncrowded environment in the woods. This guy, Hammett, 
wrote this paper back in 1982 that's really fascinating. This guy took a deep dive trying to figure out what is it that motivates people in the wilderness? What is it that people find exactly rewarding about being alone in the woods? And he interviewed tons and tons of wilderness enthusiasts, outdoor folks. I think he himself was an outdoor person. And basically what he discovered was it really had very little to do with whether you were actually alone or not. Rather, there's something about being in this wilderness environment in this more private space that creates this kind of cognitive state where you're more receptive to external feedback, your processing is more calm and attentive, and people experience their thinking as more integrated. And this sort of gets people into the state that may be more accurately described as serenity than privacy, per se. And I think this, we're beginning to get at a state that we, probably everyone in this room, I assume, is, spends time in the wilderness, really know and love and, and actively seek out. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Did anybody study this guy in like AP psychology in high school or in, in undergrad, maybe, or something like this? So Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, is a Hungarian psychologist. He's most famous for his work on happiness. And I think you can see that kind of in his smiling, beneficent face there on the slide. He still works. I think he's in Southern California. He has an interesting biography. He was born in, he's Hungarian, but he was born in what was then Italy, just before the Second World War. And his family and he were imprisoned briefly in the Second World War. And then after the war, his father was the ambassador from Hungary to Rome. And when uh, the Communist Party took over Hungary, he refused to be part of that. And he was ultimately kicked out of the country and exiled. And the family was, was exiled from their country. And so he had all these experiences as a child that you would not think would be compatible with happiness as an adult. And yet he's famous for his studies of happiness. He is perhaps most famous for introducing this concept of a flow state, which we think of flow now in terms of our, whether it's dance or movement or sports or something like that. But he used this in like a very specific psychological term. And I'll just kind of read his definition. He posited that people are happiest when they're experiencing this state that he called a flow state. And it's characterized by a state of concentration or complete absorption with the activity at hand and the situation. It's a state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. Does that sound familiar? Right? That's something that I think all of us kind of seek out in our lives, particularly if we're active and in the outdoors. Now, to be clear, Csikszentmihalyi had nothing to say about wilderness exposure. And, and he would say that the flow state could be achieved when you were welding or the flow state could be achieved when you are playing chess. So it's not about wilderness medicine. But I think anyone who spends time in the wilderness immediately recognizes that description as kind of a state that we actively seek out and experience when we're outdoors. So these are the elements that he kind of said characterize the flow state. And almost all of them are in sync with what we experience when we're in the wilderness. I would say the clear goals every step of the way, maybe not so much in the wilderness, but certainly immediate feedback from one's actions when we're climbing, hiking, walking, exploring, reading a map, you know, finding our way. A balance between challenges and skills 
very, very important. And anyone who spends time outdoors finds that balance and kind of is continually sort of seeking it out. Somebody who's new to the environment may not be relaxed or achieving a flow state, right? Action and awareness are merged. That awareness of your environment, very, very important. Distractions are excluded from consciousness. Clearly, that's what we experience. There is no worry of failure. I blanked that one out because I'm not sure that that ex exactly necessarily occurs all the time. Uh, there's a reason why I don't achieve a flow state trying to like huck a cliff in the backcountry or hit a big gap jump or something. And that's why I don't seek those things out. I'm not very good at them. And that would take me out of this flow state. Self-consciousness disappears. I think we're familiar with that. It's kind of self-explanatory. Sense of time becomes distorted. That's very clear. And the activity becomes an end in itself. And that's clear, right? It, people who know and understand and love the outdoors and the wilderness know you're not going there necessarily to work out or make something happen. You're just doing it and seeking it out for its own sake. So I've kind of talked about the biological underpinnings of wilderness exposure and its positive impact on human health and tried to explain a little bit about what we know about the mechanisms of action that have been proposed for this. And I've touched a little bit on some of the theories behind that. But I would say based on my own personal extensive research, wandering around in the woods and getting lost, which I'm famous for, and falling down and getting back up and kind of finding my way back home, what I've discovered in my theory is that ultimately wilderness makes you happy, like Cheek sent me, I would say, and happiness makes you healthy. So thank you. <laughs>